with your host, Spike Collins. Yes, it's me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Keep clapping. Thank you, thank you. Clap for the miracle. How would we know that you wanted the miracle if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thank you so much for joining us this Wednesday, the, what is it, the 16th of June. This year is almost halfway over. I am not ready to process that at even remotely at all, and I doubt you are either. So thank you for joining us here. This is a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on all of the social media platforms. Check us out on all of the uh, podcasting platforms. Check us out on muddywatersmedia.com, and of course, check us out on anchor.fm slash muddied waters. Be sure to like and share and subscribe and comment and do all of the different things that help boost us in the algorithm. And of course, if you're subscribing to us on YouTube, hit the bell. You have to hit the little bell. If you don't hit the bell, your phone won't blow up with notifications every time we go live. I do not want you to miss out on this. And again, be sure to share this. The last thing that I want is for you and your closest loved ones to miss out on a hour-long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. Give the gift of Spike today. Kids love it. The uh, 
sponsors of this show. This show is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing Waffle House related caucus in any political party ever. I didn't check that, but it has to be. Uh, if you want to become a member, go to the Facebook group Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. Or if you want to get some uh, buttons and become an official voting member, whatever that means, go to muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store and get your buttons today. The Gravy King. Cumberland Cannabis CBD products uh, based out of Cumberland County, Tennessee. If you go to cumberlandcannabisco.com, you can get all of the different CBD uh, gummies and edibles and tinctures and all sorts of other stuff to help you with joint pain and relief and a much-needed pick-me-up and all that stuff. Uh, Go to cumberlandcannabisco.com. Literally what's written there, but you add a com at the end. Joe Soloski is running for Pennsylvania governor. Joe Soloski is the key to Pennsylvania success. Uh, and if you'd like to help him in becoming the first libertarian governor of any state ever, go to Joe Soloski, that's J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I.com to help him today. The most aptly named sponsor that we have ever had before, which is, of course, Mud Water, brought to you by Muddy Waters. Mud Water, coffee alternative. If you woke up today and said, man, I never want to drink coffee another day in my life. I instead want to drink, oh, you can't read the top of the thing, a coffee alternative that has nothing in it but masala chai, cacao, I don't know what cacao is, but cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and literally nothing else. Well, folks, I have some fantastic news for you. If you go to muddywatersmedia.com slash mud, you, yes, you, can go and get a tin that this person in this hand model is holding of mud water. And I do take mud water. I do use mud water. And it tastes, I mean, coffee doesn't taste good either. So this tastes about the same. But it has one-seventh of the caffeine of coffee. Put that in perspective. It is 8 p.m. I'm still this wired off of one cup of mud water. Uh, imagine what I would have been like on coffee. So be sure to go get some mud water today. Um, Folks, and of course, my guest tonight. That's the wrong thing. Uh, and then, of course, Jack Casey, author of the books The Royal Green and in Silver in Silver Throne, which is, I don't, I've never read these books. Whatever they're about, I'm sure they're great. Uh, and I'm sure Jack Casey would love for you to buy them because that, I mean, that puts money in his pocket. So be sure to go to theroyalgreen.com today to buy these books. And of course, uh, coming summer of 2021, uh, his third book, Crowned by Gold, is coming out. I also don't know what that one's about. I will, I'm never going to read these books because if they are, if I read them and they're bad, I'm going to feel bad for trying to get you to buy them. And if they're good, I'm going to feel bad that I, you know, promoted them this way because this is terrible. Um, and finally, of course, Personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. Um, if you are in the, uh, are you? If you are in Florida, which I just got back from, if you are in Florida and you find yourself personally injured, you can contact Chris Reynolds and he will sue them for you, giving and you could get money from that. I don't know that you're going to get money from that, but there's a there's at least a 50-50 chance, probably. I don't know that you there's at least even odds that you could end up getting money from suing someone because they did something to you. If it's not a frivolous case. So go to chrisreynoldslaw.com. Well, he wouldn't take a case if it was frivolous. So you have at least a 50-50 chance, probably even better than that. chrisreynoldslaw.com. The intro and outro music to this and every single episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi, J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on his Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp joedavimusic.bandcamp.com where you can listen and stream and buy his entire discography it's like 25 bucks it's all the it's it's hours of music you'll love all of it go there now well no don't go there now 
go after this is over. Watch this entire thing in its entirety all the way to the very end. Then when it ends, go to jodavimusic.bandcamp. Thank you so much, Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Lib Bleu for this delicious purified drinking water that I'm drinking on this episode. Bulubanaka. I just realized this is the first water I've drank since I got home. The last time I drank water, I was in Florida. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Folks, as you probably know, uh, this Saturday is the 156th anniversary of Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth is the day that the um, slaves that lived in Texas were informed 156 years ago. Years after the Civil War had ended, they were finally informed that they were free from chattel slavery. Um, and pretty much as soon as that ended, as soon as they were informed, they went straight to work building up their communities and creating communities, um, building uh, um, free colonies uh, across Texas and really across the country, but especially in Texas. But there are times that the people that went there and amassed great wealth and great property uh, had people in positions of government come and steal their property from them. My guest tonight is a descendant of one of these people that uh, had their property stolen from them. She is also the author of Colored River, uh, and she is here to talk about uh, her and her family's fight for recognition of what happened and, uh, and for justice and, and hopefully recompensation. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show Dr. E. Henderson Lawson. Dr. Lawson, thank you so much for coming on. Well, I'm happy to have you here. And folks, be sure to tune in with your thoughts and questions. And Dr. Lawson and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Dr. Lawson, while we're getting, before we get started with the story, if you can tell, you know, you don't have to get too personal, but tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, you're a, a, a doctor of some kind. You've, you've gone through uh, school. Tell us about what led to you even finding out about this story. What, what is the genesis story of how you even found out that something had happened? Well, Spike, it started when I was a little girl. Um, I'd heard uncles and older relatives mention that our land was stolen. And I didn't give much thought to it. Um, you know, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. Um, but in 2016, uh, some cousins, we met at one of my cousin's house and we were just sitting around going through obituaries and one of our family historians uh, was there and she had a lot of pictures and she proceeded to tell stories about our family and it was just at that moment that those memories came back to me and I decided to start looking at my family's genealogy. And so I started there. Um, I went home and I Googled my grandfather and, um, and I found some information about him. And so I Googled my great grandfather and I found a death certificate for him and then I ventured to Google my great-great-grandfather. And when I put his name in, a court case came up. And of course, all of the thoughts came rushing back to me, all the memories of when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just couldn't believe that I saw his name. And so I called some cousins up and we went on down to the courthouse and 
after two times going down because I didn't know anything about pulling those files. I'm a doctor of education, by the way. And um, I got the case and I came home and I read and I saw his name and wasn't sure uh, still. It, I mean, it was the county that our people were from. And so I went ahead and joined Ancestry. Here's a plug for Ancestry.com. <laughs> <laughs> I joined Ancestry.com uh, and put in all of the names and saw that um, it was five black men and two white attorneys. And um, they were um, asking, um, uh, there was another family that were heirs of that were heirs of a name that was on the map that said that the Republic of Texas had granted them the land. And um, as I continued to look at this, I realized I need to go back and do some studying about Texas history. Mm -hmm. um, so that led me to uh, researching Texas in a way that I'd never looked at Texas before and in a way that had never been taught to me in public school or college at any time. And um, I was able to put together um, based on that case, which I thought at the time was the only case, but there ended up being three other cases and seven conspirators from the beginning to the end of the cases that actually robbed the family, not just my family, but many black families in the same county in Texas. And so um, I decided that I would uh, continue to research. And as I continued to research, family members started giving me more information. And that information led me on a journey of writing. And so I just kept writing. And one day, um, a cousin, I didn't know it was a cousin, reached out to me on Ancestry. So if you know anything about Ancestry, you're able to communicate via Ancestry and send messages. Right. And so a cousin, reached out to me and said, I didn't know he was a cousin because his name wasn't my last name. It wasn't Henderson. And he reached out and um, said, hey, I see you have a picture of my grandmom on your family tree. And I'd like to talk to you. I'm writing a book. And I said, wow, I'm writing too. So we communicated in the first day We because I didn't know how aware my writing was going. I just knew that I was writing and we right. were writing the same story. Oh, wow. And so he said, let's collaborate with this because we're right here together writing the same story. We know, you know, all of our family knows. And so we started writing together. So um, Dr. Kennedy um, is is my co-author. <laughs> and um, so our story, my colored river tells the story of our family and how um, my great-great-grandfather, his father was actually an Irishman and um, he actually fought in the Battle of San Jacinto. So we were able to um, get records showing this and um, you know, following the history of Texas and putting in context what was happening in Texas and following um, the emancipation of the slaves, as you stated, um, many black families were able to amass land because they they knew how to work the land. Right, and, right, right. Um, 
it was just an unfortunate um, string of events that led to them losing their land. Um, well, let, let's talk about that. So Jim Henderson is your great, great grandfather. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So Jim Henderson was a, correct me if I'm wrong, he was a freed slave who began a free, uh, a free colony um, of other of other black people, of other freed slaves. And as you said, and this is something we've actually talked about um, on my other show, we've talked about the fact that when you look at a lot of the the storytelling about or the, the, the things that have been written about slavery and the post-slavery era, it understandably and, and justifiably so focuses on the uh, the oppression, it focuses on the the continued harm that happened in the sharecropper era and the, the continuation of uh, abuses that happened so that for many um, for many black people in that time, it was almost as though slavery either hadn't ended or hadn't really gotten that much better. Um, what isn't talked about a lot is that there were many black people who were able to, because as you said, because they had incredible skills, because they had incredible work ethic, because they uh, had been treated like cattle and now were able to uh, exert themselves and, and exert their own bodily autonomy and, and be able to build wealth for themselves. They got they hit the ground running and uh, uh, accumulated vast amounts of property and and wealth, sometimes becoming uh, wealthier than some of the white inhabitants of the same counties. Um, and so that led to the creation and the growing of, of Freestone County, the, the, um, the freedom colony there. Can you, how much can, what can you tell us about that colony and what that was like? So first, let me tell you something. Um, when Texas became a Republic, one of the first things that, um, that they made sure of is that no black would be free. And um, I mean, that was the whole reason they fought, right? They wanted to keep their slaves. Right. And right. so Jim Henderson was a slave on paper, but his father was, um, his father was white. And so with his father being in the position that he was in, the story as it was told to me, from family members and we have some written documents from family members um, that that we were able to capture and put in our in the book um it was a he was a in in the state of texas he was considered a slave but he had gotten some land from his father and we can see his father's land not far from his land um so there was a gentleman by the name of e.a maher who actually came through after um, the second reconstruction, um, he was able to come in and give titles to the blacks because at this time they could legally own land. So right. the titles that Jim Henderson had were um, giving him the rights, all rights to his land. And he continued to fight for his land, but he just couldn't beat the system. So the community that um, Jim Henderson founded, the Bethel community. Uh, our cemetery is still there. Um, it's still sitting on the land. We can get to the cemetery, but we can't get to the land. We can only get to the cemetery. And um, Bethel is only one of many um, freedom colonies that are in Freestone County. It's the one that just happens to be where Jim Henderson had amassed most of his land. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but we see through the court cases, it was uh, it was about greed. Um, so many blacks lost land. We have record of that. Um, it's in the court records. It's open records, and so um, the research and to be able to do what Jim Henderson couldn't do. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. He had to rely on the system, and the system did not, um, the system wasn't in his favor. Right. And so um, this community, um, we can see the churches, even some of them are, we have pictures, they're dilapidated, they're still there. Um, We can't get to where his house is because it's contained, it's still contained on this land. Um, so we can see it, we can identify it, we have legal descriptions, but that's about all we can do. So Jim Henderson's father was an Irishman, and, and maybe this might be a, uh, and I apologize if this is a crass question to ask, was was Jim Henderson's father also his previous um owner when when slavery yes. okay, okay yes right. okay he yes as a matter of fact because in texas um you had to go before congress um this was the first thing that they wanted to make sure of when texas became a republic is that right. no one black would be free in the right. state of texas and so his father was the one who on paper enslaved him but of course he, he didn't treat him nor his mother Zilly, um, harshly at all. So it was basically a family, but he used the legal, the the legal cover of being their owner to justify them being a family, basically. Right, and they were oh. pretty much left alone until Hugh Henderson died, um, his father, and right. E. A. Maher died, who was the person who. Um, was given titles to the blacks in this community. Um, when he died, that is when the land theft conspiracy began. Okay. Okay. So that's when it all fell apart. Okay. So then, yes. so up until this point, Jim Henderson and other freed black uh, families have are, are building colonies. Uh, Jim, uh, at, at this point, Jim has, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, thousands of acres of land, correct? Correct. So like correct more land than anyone watching this ever hopes to have that he had right. a vast swath. This is this is you know you, you talk about a, a you know rags to riches story. You go from slavery to being such a, a hard worker and and such you know having, having such a, a great mind for enterprise that you now own you know the equivalent of a small county. And so you know you so he has all this land. He has all this property and. He has he's built it up, and this is supposed to be the American dream, right? Not the slavery right. part, but the part about you know you you start from you come with nothing, or or in this case you you are you know, freed with little to nothing, and you build up and grow your legacy, and you're able to pass on that generational wealth to future generations, so that they don't have it as hard as you do, so that they have a a legacy to build upon, so that they can pass that generational wealth onto f- their future generations, and so that you know there is this accumulation of wealth through the the institution of that family so that eventually you know those people are able to live in in you know essentially whatever level of luxury they want um but 
Instead, there were people who decided they were just going to steal it. Can you walk us through how that actually worked? You know, what what was the process of of taking this man, this this ostensibly free man, and robbing him of everything he had worked so hard for? Okay, absolutely. Uh, first of all, we must remember that during this time, blacks were not allowed to go to school, so they were pretty much formally uneducated. But I know that Jim was highly intelligent. Um, because he was able to um, amass such amounts, great amounts of land and keep it. So if you had to think of a timeline, I would say, okay, so we know that um, the emancipation happened June 10th, 1865. Everybody's caught on to that by now. Um, 1870 is the first time we can see Blacks on the census. So we see Jim and we see his children on the census on the land for the first Mm -hmm. time in 1870. Now, if you're looking at a timeline, go all the way to 1896. In 1896, um, there was a man who was the inspector of lands who conspired with an attorney who remained a part of this land theft conspiracy until the end. And basically, they said to each other, let's go. There were so many blacks on this um, on this survey of land in right. um They wanted to know, let's see if we can figure out a way to get them out. Now, the way I know this is because the attorney at the time that was conspiring with the inspector of lands wasn't actually selected. He was selected initially to work with the inspector of lands to um, acquire the land, find out who um, owned the land based on not the... um, based on um, the survey. So this survey, the J.Y. Aguilera survey, we had to go back and do some research on this survey. So basically um, they said, all of these blacks are on this land. Let's find out who owned it before them, right? And so they go to Mexico because I had to go back and understand that land grants were given between April 6, 1830 and 1834 right. during that period of time. The homesteading um, of Mexico when, from, when, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. During that period of time, well, there were seven land grants given in Freestone County. Mm-hmm. So on one of those land grants, which is where we spend most of our time researching the J.Y. Aguilera survey, is where we find this land theft conspiracy beginning. And so the when he, um, once, once the attorney... And once the land inspector found, um, um, had surveyed the land out and, and, and went to Mexico to find out who had and who this land grant had gone to, he came back. But the attorney, he didn't select him. He selected another attorney. Okay. And so the attorney, the initial attorney was upset. And so he filed a complaint and it's on file. And so when I got the paper of it being on file, it it explained how um, he was so upset that they were going to find the original owners of this land and they were going to give half of the land to them and then they were going to split the other half. And so this uh, attorney was upset and said, you found another attorney and you've left me out and I am due one fourth of whatever is not already oh, wow. encumbered 
by people that are already on the land. Right. So the the attorney that um, was to take his place didn't care about that complaint. He went ahead and filed a lawsuit against um, the people that had inherited the land and that had gotten their titles from E.A. Maher. So the lawsuit was against the descendants of E.A. Maher, who at this time had died. So his wife um, was in court. Um, it was so it was he the attorney was actually representing the the Mexican family that was in right. Mexico now. He brought them back and said, this is your land, even though there was a power of attorney form on file, which I have a copy of. They gave the same man, E.A. Maher, the power to distribute the land. He was the right. land agent for this family, the Masu family, as well as he had power to give this land away because his name is the one that's on the land grant. Right. Because right. of a succession of events that happened, which we went and researched. How did J.Y. Aguilera end up? not owning the land how did it end up in the hand of the masu heirs we asked that question and so went back and there's the information on the grant uh itself saying that jy aguilera owed masu money and he gave him this 11 leagues of land which is about forty-eight thousand seven hundred and forty-eight acres okay and so um in between the time that uh, Texas became a republic, this land, of course, things happened. And then, of course, you know, Texas started giving out their own grants as a republic. And then, of right. course, when it became a part of the United States, it started giving out land. So you could see how you could say, well, it could kind of get confused and it could kind of get blurred. But what I want you to remember is E.A. Maher, um had gotten the land from his father, Jose Maher, because uh, I don't I don't want to go so deep into Texas history, but right, right. Uh, David Burnett was the first interim president for Texas. Mm -hmm. So he had the um, Burnett's colony and it encompassed the entire Freestone, colony, uh, Freestone County. And so um, here we have Burnett's colony, which he couldn't settle. And so he ended up uh, selling it to the Gal Texas Galveston um, Land Company. And that land company, the part that Jose Maher ended up um, getting, it was he and two other uh, gentlemen, was encompassed Freestone County. So Jose Maher was executed because of his role in the Battle of um, Santa Ana did not like him because he wasn't for oh, okay, Santa he was Anna's killed by Santa policies. Ana during the, okay. So okay. he was executed. So before he died, he actually willed everything he owned to his son, E.A. Maher. So I don't know if you've ever, in Texas, you can ride through Maher. The Maher's had all of this property and they it's so much so they have a whole county named after them. And Maher, if you come to Texas, it's still here. So they get to court <laughs> They get to court and so you have this attorney who's saying the Masu heirs um, illegally own this property and you have Maher's wife saying, no, 
we own a property. So it was the attorney representing the masseuse and against the Mahers. So the judge said, and this is in writing, and this is in, um, um, not only is this in writing, this is in the minutes from the court. And there's also an affidavit stating that um, E.A. Mahers' wife attested to people that were already on this property, which included Jim Henderson at the top. Right. And the, the judge said, the judge said he would give a part of the land to the Masu heirs, a part of the land to the Maher heirs, right. but do not bother the pioneers who are already on the land. That's what our whole, this was this whole conspiracy. This is where it came from. We right. have in writing the judge saying, do not bother the families that have already encumbered the land. Right. And so, and we have the affidavit, affidavit stating who's on the land. But then you have this attorney who disregarded what the judge said and went ahead and created fake vendorlings and forced these Blacks to sign these vendorlings under duress. And so that's where the conspiracy started. So they would go on the land and say, I own this, I own this land, not you. Right. Um, and um, and then they would take them to court and say, I own the land. And so during that time, the period of reconstruction yeah. <laughs> was political reconstruction was pretty much over, and Jim Crow had set in, and there was a lot of fear going on. Uh, some of the cases were happening at the same time the Slocum massacre was happening in a neighboring county of Anderson. And so we realized that there was a lot of stress associated with this. Yeah, it was um, a backdrop of threats of violence and real violence right. happening right next door and angry white people showing up saying, sign this or there's going to be problems. So it wasn't like right. they just decided to sign this. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, one of the most amazing things I, I um that I was able to capture during the research um, for the final case, which started in 1913, um, was there was an answer from Jim Henderson in the case, and it was never read. And we know it wasn't read because again, there are minutes, court minutes that indicate that the three guys, three white guys that were um, his attorney, his mm -hmm. attorneys, in the minutes, it said, we rescind Jim's answer. And they called, so then they called for Jim and they said, okay, he defaulted. But in his answer, which we can see because it's still on record at Freestone, he said, I am an illiterate Negro. This is fraud. He right. said, they came up on the land and said to me that if I do not sign these papers, that they would take all of my land. And they know full well that this is my land. And they did know full well because they're the two people, these same two attorneys that were fighting him for the land were the same two attorneys who had defended him in the case that I found online that you can Google. So the, you can so Google the, the case. So then the attorneys that threatened him and said either sign this or, or we're gonna take all of it, then turned around and represented him and said, we're rescinding his answer and then said he defaulted. Why were they his attorneys in the first place? Did Were they appointed attorneys or how did that happen? 
Okay, back up right quick. Okay, remember okay, when I said the first attorney came in and then the second attorney came in and they were kind of against each other at yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they start conspiring together. So the, oh. the, the land inspector died, the one that was yeah. that started this, the land inspector, he died. Yeah. And then we found out through genealogy and through ancestry that the reason why he picked the other attorney and not the first one was because he was married to his niece. So I was like, oh, now I see by doing their right, family right. tree that there was a family connection. However, as soon as they started with the fake vendorlings, the heirs that popped up and said, for the case, you can Google, and I sent you a link to that case that you can Google today in 2021. Uh, that case, these same two attorneys who were fighting, who were saying, um, the Masood people owned the land and were against them. That happened in 1897. The case actually started in 1900. In okay. 1901, out of the blue, comes some people saying our ancestor owns one third of 11 leagues of land. And these blacks were upon the land when we got here. And it's our land. That was a true case. So they had to hurry up and get over there to try to get that back into their hands so that they could steal it, which is the only way you could think of it, because they defended them. Both of these attorneys defended the blacks in this case, five black men. Um, yeah. They defended them in this case. And so then they absolutely knew that this was their land and turned right back around and okay. the next case, so while this case was going on, let me just tell yeah. you a little bit about that case right quick. During this case, these um, heirs of Tobias Dubronner, if you look at a map of East Texas, you'll see a part that says Tobias Dubronner. The heirs of Tobias Dubronner brought this court, this case to court and said that when they came upon the land around 1895 or 1896, they saw these people here, which verifies that they were there. Right. Um, <laughs> right? right. And so we saw black they said people we, there. that means that they were there. Right. Yeah, they're there. We saw them there. They're there. And they even said they showed us some title from E.A. Maher stating that they own the land. But we right. are saying that we own the land because the state of Texas gave it to our ancestor. So the judge in that case said, you cannot say that just because you didn't know that there was this um, Mexican land grant that you are owners of it. So he allowed, the black should have been victor. They should, it was a victory. Right. Hands down. The, the heirs of Tobias Dubronner came back and said, we want to appeal this. We have all this and we have the cases. Um, we want to appeal this and lost again. So you would think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-uh, no, not so right. fast. While this case was going on, because they were so busy defending the Blacks, in this case, Jim Henderson at the top, um, while they were so busy defending them, they had started that whole thing with the vendorlings that was rolling, right? So they couldn't do anything. They were tied into this case because they appealed. So they have brought in this land capitalist. So the land capitalist comes in and says, I own 21000 412 acres of land it was two white men on the in there and the rest were blacks 
the two white men go out and get an attorney. They got an attorney in their attorney, which I can see in the case, questioned, how are you filing a suit against these people? And he, he was looking at the Kachili case. He was looking at the case that they had just, they were being appealed and going through all of that. He was looking at that. And he even, we have a letter where he wrote to Freestone County and asked, could you send me the information about the Kachili case? And then he made a statement and said, it seems to me that this attorney is just trying to get everybody to default. So they dismissed the right. two white land. They dismissed their cases and defaulted on all of the blacks in one day. In the and same day, land they, they dismissed day. the case on the whites and they, they defaulted the blacks land oh. over to the attorneys. Absolutely. And guess who the attorney was for all the blacks? You guessed it. The same one of the attorneys that simultaneously in the courtroom defending them for one third of 11 leagues. And on the other side, um, with the land capitalists, was the other person, the other attorney being uh, a witness for him. They never got out of it. So in the final case, these two attorneys sued these Blacks with their names on the cases. And this was the last piece of land that my ancestor, Jim Henderson, owned. And it had a lake on it. And it had his homestead on it. And it says it in his response in the answer that was never read. Right. That I built my home here. Right. And they know well that they never owned this land. And right. then he said, and my wife, Nancy, never signed. So she still should have interest in this property. That's how I know he was intelligent. Right. And so you know what happened? Before that case was over, Nancy was dead. I've gone down myself to Freestone to look for her death certificate. We can't find her body. We can't find a death certificate nothing and we know that three of the sons were murdered one was beat senseless i mean it's just it was just so very emotional writing the book because you know i've heard these stories i'm hearing these stories i'm researching i'm going to ancestry and seeing my ancestor in prison for 12 days and then seeing dead on the prison record you know i know they hung my great uncle jay hugh i mean my great uncle walter priest his descendants we're, we know where we are. We know our family. We're still, this has brought us so much closer together that we have located the eight of Jim's children that had children and we've come together and we talk about this and it's very painful. I can't um, even imagine. Yeah, it's very painful to just know that this was all done for greed, you know? Um, and so... Colored River tells this story um, as much as we can tell. Um, It goes through the cases. It goes through um, uh, Texas history. And I put a little bit in there just so context would be given to, um, because I knew if I didn't have it in my mind about what was happening in Texas so clear that others probably wouldn't either because, you know, school was such a joke. (laughs) <laughs> for me, when it came to the history of Texas, oh, when I yeah, woke up, yeah. this was all about slavery. What? Yep. 
This was all about keeping slaves and King Cotton. So this is, and, and this, before I ask about, well, I guess I'll start by asking. So the property now, you said that the, you can't get to the land, but the, um, but you can still see the, the graveyard. What is on that land? Well, I guess it's thousands of acres, so it's probably many things. What's on that land now? Um, so one of the other conspirators in this case, I call him the puppet master. Okay. Because from the beginning, he was behind the scenes pulling strings, right? So when they came out with those vendor liens, uh, when that attorney came up with the vendor liens, don't try to make logical sense of this. Right. He and the county clerk came together and I don't know, they created, they were the ones who um, bought these vendor lanes, so to speak. That's what they said. They bought them. We don't find that out until the last case. And they pop out of nowhere as interveners and say, we own, you guys, are, you two attorneys are saying you own the land, but we own half. We own half and you guys own half the land. So it was Jim, two of his sons. And then there were other um, um, six other black families. The attorneys, this is the this is the case where Nancy ended up dead before the case was over. So the attorneys gave the other blacks some of their land back, but not Jim and his two sons. And so one of our family members is a descendant and the, these families are so interconnected, but one of our family members uh, is also a family member to one of the other purse victims of this, um, Alan Davis. And so Alan Davis was given back 14.5 acres from his 100 acres. So, they still own this 14.5 acres mm -hmm. today. Okay. That's the only piece of land we know. Hey, don't say this didn't happen. Because don't say this, this didn't happen piece, because they're paying taxes of, still today on it. There's this one piece but of black owned ours, land. Here, we yeah. can't get to it. What did you say, Spike? No, I was just saying there's this one piece of black owned land there. And, yes. and that's the what you can trace everything back to. Yes, and it's on the deed. It's still on the warranty deed as referred to in that case that started in 1913. So um, there's no question about the legitimacy. And of course, the most important thing is the cases are still on file in Freestone. And so I... So I'm assuming there is some kind of, is there a statute of limitations on this? Or are you trying to to piece together the history so that you can try to get recompensation for this? Or what, you know, is there a, a is this now, is it past a point of trying to secure some kind of justice for this and just trying to tell the story? Or is there still an attempt to, to actually get compensation for what happened? Okay, so Spike, so when we started this story, uh, both my co-author and I, Mm -hmm. It's like we were being bothered in our spirits about writing this story because we know how many of our ancestors cried, prayed, died behind justice. Yeah. So our whole point in writing a book 
was to tell the story America needs to know. We always hear about land um, theft, land loss, black land loss. Um, we know that um, there was a tremendous amount of 98% of, of the black land was lost after 1910. Everything coincides with what was happening there. Um, we've had other family members who attempted to speak out about this. Uh, I would say that there was a period of time where our family members, they had the story, but they couldn't quite articulate it in a way. Right. Uh, um, they couldn't put it in writing. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just told. It was just oral stories. Uh, and then you have a population of people that could write, but right. they didn't know the story. So right. now here is the perfect time. And our book came out before all of the attention was put on writing the wrongs of, of what have, has happened to Blacks in America. Uh, mm -hmm. And it just it just coincided the time. So the main point of our story was to tell the story. We don't know what tide this will take. We're not expecting uh, for, um, we're not out on a man, on a witch hunt to hunt people down, but we do feel like we've been wrong. We feel like our inheritance was stolen from us. Um, we don't know. We know that laws have been set up. It's a system. Um, right. You have 25 years or whatever to say something about it. Well, within those 25 years, we were still under the same system that didn't want to hear from you. They don't want to right. hear from you. So you're talking about county officials. That's what sets this case apart. Um, these people were working for, for the county clerk. I mean, these people, he opened up an abstract company in the courthouse where he's responsible. What does the county clerk do? They're responsible for keeping up with deeds and, and, um, and all of these official records, birth certificates, death certificates. We can't find a death certificate for Jim Henderson. We, the, we can't find any information on Hugh Henderson besides his military records and the stories that have been left to us that we were able to now tell in a way that people can understand and put it in writing. And so we don't know which way the story will go. Uh, I assume just like the people in Tulsa, they didn't know which way their story would go. They still don't know. Right. Um, just like the people at, on Bruce's Beach, they didn't know which way the story would go. But you, your responsibility is to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know. We know years later, there was so much oil, ignite, coal, all kinds of minerals on the land. Um, I mean, talk about uh, the reason for an economic wealth gap. <laughs> land loss is at the top. And, and, and frankly, uh, there hasn't been much that anyone could do about it. I mean, we, we didn't have a voice. So how do you give 25 years when the 25 years that you're talking about, people are still struggling with illiteracy, you know? Um, and so I feel honored and I tell my family all the time, this to me is a gift to my family to finally tell them what happened in writing so that even when I'm not here, the story has been written. It's documented. And I made sure to um, put notes in the back of the book 
so that anyone who wanted to say, well, no, that didn't happen, that they have a way to go back for themselves and go and do their own research. Yeah. So this is a story. And I mean, you want to talk about a wealth gap. This is a story of why there's a wealth gap basically, as told through a single family. You have someone, yes. uh, and, and multiple families there, the descendants of generations of people who yes. were brought from their homeland, uh, treated like cattle, robbed of their identity, of their heritage, treated basically one step above animals, if you can even call it that, robbed of literally generations of labor. It, it's hard to calculate what that would be worth now once you compound the interest and everything else it's in it's in the trillions and this is a a group of families who were allowed to now not be slaves immediately start amassing wealth immediately start building wealth and going you know not looking back at any of the stuff that was robbed of them in previous generations not feeling bad for themselves not just immediately start they're building wealth right uh, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, as as we say. And the response to that is that you had a handful of people who used the power of government and their connections to systematically rob them of all or almost all of their property and to, as far as we can tell, kill anyone or or at least potentially the possibility that they were also killing, but certainly intimidating anyone. And if they were also killing people, uh, that would be quite a way to intimidate other people to make sure that the robbery happened. And they are doing this to people who, by law, again, power of government, are not allowed to have an education. And yet they were still smart enough they were still intelligent enough to know something was wrong here. They they were not allowed to learn how to read. Now, and again, this is this is I, I I'm trying not to get on too much of a soapbox here, but a system that tells someone you are not allowed to learn what words say is a system that is codifying your victimization. Because what they're saying is everyone else is allowed to know how to read and write and be able to participate in this legal system. You are not. You have to rely on someone else or just show up without any paperwork and hope for the best. And so this is a story of the logical conclusion of what happens when that's allowed to happen. And your fight now to seek that justice to, like you said, Bruce's Beach, uh, the, the Greenwood community, Rosewood, all of these different communities to tell that that story of what happened with the idea that, of course, We've seen what's happened in other cases. When that story comes out and people see what really what this really is, that this is not some abstract thing. This isn't roots. This is an actual per this is a human being. This is not an act of fiction. These are actual human beings that this happened to. And people who now are suffering from the fact that they were not allowed the what would probably now be worth hundreds of millions or billions or who knows in 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 amassed wealth. What happens when that happens? And so I hope that you are able to get the justice that you can. Um, I'm not sure that you can fully get recompensated what was taken um, simply because it would be impossible at this point. You know, one of, one of the conversations about reparations is, well, you know, how are we going to pay for what is due? That's impossible. 
there is no way to pay the tens of trillions of dollars worth of labor and wealth that was stolen. So now what we're looking at is what can be given back. So whatever can be given back, I hope that you were able to get it. And I hope that you're able to find that justice. Tell people about where they can find this book. We've been putting the, the link to the book uh, in it. Is there anyone? It's on Amazon. Is there anywhere else they can get it? You also have a website as well, right? Yeah, coloredriver.com. They can get it there or it's on Amazon. Um, the Kindle version is on Amazon as well. Okay. And we've just put the the book, the the link to coloredriver.com in the in the note in the comments as well. Um I usually go through the uh the questions in the comments, but literally all of the comments have just been people that are just expressing shock at every bit of this story. You know, forty thousand acres. Uh, you know, uh, I, I can't believe that this happened. This is swindling. This is theft by fraud. Uh, one person said that they really like your eyebrows. Other than that, every everything here, <laughs> uh, they, they, they think your eyebrows are beautiful. But everyone, it, it, her family is definitely due this compensation. This is literally just a bunch of people saying how dismayed and, and flabbergasted they are by this story. So um, coloredriver.com. And the uh, and the Amazon uh, link is on there as well. I, I have I, I'm not even sure if this is a question or a comment, so I'm I'm going to start talking and we'll figure out we'll find out together. Um, Juneteenth coming up on Saturday, as you know, that's the that is the anniversary of the freedom that was delayed to slaves that were in Texas. In a similar fashion, there is a justice delayed that is happening here and hopefully it is not a justice denied um and i I guess i just want to get your your thoughts on that and and honestly any final thoughts that you have um this is a a, has been an amazing episode um and and thank you for sharing this with us and i there is nothing i can say other than i'm sorry that this has happened and i hope that this episode and i hope that people hearing about this and reading it and telling others about it uh, will help to spark that catalyst of getting the justice that you deserve um so dr lawson i i give you this chance to give your final words to give anything you feel like we didn't get a chance to talk about to plug any other uh events or uh or uh, you know uh, books or anything else that you want to be able to share uh dr uh, e henderson lawson the floor is yours Inviting me. Um, this is my first time I'm doing an interview. Um, and one thing I wanted to say is we do hear a lot about reparations, but I like to use the word reclamations. Um, how about let's get back to what you took that we can identify this ours. And so, right. yeah, you can be pretty ambiguous when you're talking about reparations and I get it. How do you pay back all of this and who gets it and who doesn't it's, get it? It's impossible. But when you it's have possible. a family that knows about what's theirs and we can see it and we can yeah. follow the people who are enjoying it, um, that's pretty painful. And we know that our family members were murdered behind it. And we saw our family members cry and um, we know that they pray and we have several of them that are depending on our voices. And so this is an opportunity for our voice to be shared with America. And I have family that's behind me. They pray for me. They support me. They're researching with me and I appreciate them. Some of them are here listening. Um, we are very sensitive about how we're moving forward with this and 
It's not for greed. It's not even for self-gain. It's for justice. And so um, I'm just thankful that we've had this opportunity to come on and um, be able to share the story of what happened to our family. Something else I want to say is we're not against white people. <laughs> so sometimes it can be misconstrued that because a group of people did the wrong thing, that right. we're upset with white people, but we have sense enough to know how whites have helped blacks in from slavery on up all through the Civil Rights Act. And so I'm thankful for people that can see this through another lens besides it being something about hatred uh, for a race of people, even though that's what happened to us. So I would like to thank each and every one of you who've come on and I would encourage you to grab the book and read about our family um, and what happened to our family. And my co-author, he's been under the weather or he would have been on here with me as well, but he wishes us well um, during this interview. So that is thank great. you so much, Spike, for having me. And Thank I really you. appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Lawson. And yes, this is not about scapegoating all white yes. people or any race. or any, This is specific people did a specific bad thing to hurt people, to murder people, to take their land. Uh, and and uh, it, this is definitely not greed. If someone comes and kills my family and takes my property and I say, I'd like my property back. Uh, and I wish you hadn't killed my family. I'm not the one being greedy. So I, I right. no. This is this is about justice. This is about telling. First of all, it's number one. It's about acknowledging what even happened. Um, and then second of all, from that acknowledgement, having a conversation like you said, reclamation. Okay, great. This isn't some abstract discussion about how the system enslaved a race. Specific people did a specific thing yes. to specific people, and there's a way to trace that and 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 reclaim and, and repair from that specific thing that happened. But anyway, coloredriver.com, and we also have the link on Amazon, and, and I believe on your website it has the Amazon and the, the Kindle link and all of that stuff. Dr. Lawson, thank you so much for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, stick around. I'd like to talk to you briefly during the um, outro, so if you can just stick around, I'd really appreciate it. Um, Folks, thank you so much for uh, this, for watching this in incredible, um, I, I guess, bittersweet episode of, of my fellow Americans. You know, this is um, to, to talk to someone who is the descendant of someone who had this kind of harm inflicted upon him and upon them. Um, I, I only hope that we, I hope that you were touched by this uh, watching at home or listening at home and are inspired to get this book to tell this story and to and to help spread this message because this is this is a perfect example. We've talked about Bruce's Beach on my uh, on my social media, um, and as as um, as terrible as that was, um, this that pales in comparison to this in my in my opinion anyway. Um, and so I, I hope that you get the book. I hope that you share this story with others. And let's 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 get some justice for this family, for the descendants of Jim Henderson and, and, and those who were harmed by this. Um, as I said before, uh, this is uh, Juneteenth is uh, is coming up um, uh, tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, the writer's block, uh, my co-host Matt uh, on his show. Um, I do not remember who his guest is. I do this every time. Uh, his guest uh, is uh, uh, Travis Bull Johnson. He is running for Congress in Western Minnesota uh, as a libertarian. So be sure to watch that tomorrow at eight. Uh, then on Friday, 
the 18th, I will be in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, uh, for the start of the Libertarian Party of uh, North Carolina's convention, and also um, the um, the Juneteenth event that we are doing as part of that convention. That is going to be on uh, Friday and Saturday, the 18th and 19th. Uh, if you go to SpikeCohen.com, you can find all the information there. Uh, on Sunday, uh, we are going to be taking part in something called Pound the Pavement. Those who watch the show, you know what, what that means. Uh, we're going to be going out into the community in Greensboro um, and talking with folks there about our ideas, about our vision to set people free uh, from wars and from cages and from undue criminal records and what we stand for as libertarians. Um, and if you live anywhere near Greensboro uh, and or if you've if any of you who have been a part of any of our Pound the Pavement events, you know how incredible and successful they've been. Uh, we hope to do the same in, uh, in Greensboro. If you live anywhere near there, come on out and, and meet us. We'd love to do it. Um, and then if you join us right back here uh, next week uh, uh, for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events, uh, you can join us here uh, next Tuesday at 8. Uh, and then join me right back here uh, next uh, Wednesday, the 23rd. My guest will be Michael Bolden of the 10th Amendment Center. Um, so, folks, again, thank you, much for, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys. Now.